You're listening to the Authentic Leadership Podcast. Join Gabrielle Dolan as she interviews a range of prominent leaders about their experiences. Her guests share stories about challenges they have faced during their career, as well as important learning opportunities or moments of insight. We hope you enjoy this conversation and are encouraged to embrace authenticity and real communication. Welcome to this edition of Authentic Leadership. And on this podcast, I am delighted to be speaking to Dan Stubbs, who is the Victorian Disability Worker Commissioner, which is a very, very impressive title. Dan, welcome. Hi, Raoul. Great to be here. Thanks for having me Yeah, I'm very much looking forward to our chat today. Um, So tell us a little bit about, before we get into, you know, your backstory, tell us a bit about this current job you're doing, because like I said, it does sound very impressive. You're a commissioner. And, and, you know, it's it's great to have a title, commissioner. Um, I head up an agency that regulates the disability workforce. So anyone who works in the disability sector in Victoria, I uh, we, we regulate and we do that in, in, in a few different ways. Uh, we, we take complaints and notifications about certain sorts of conduct of disability workers. We have a, a, also a, a scheme of, of registration where disability workers can register with us to show that they meet a whole lot of uh, standards and that there's a registration board who set those standards and everything. The, the commission's only been around for oh, not even, less than less than two years, so we're relatively new. I started in this role a bit before the commission actually commenced its powers back at the end of 2019, and we've spent the last two years. Uh, I've spent the last two years kind of getting people together and building this commission and and starting and you know which has been a a wild ride given there's been a couple of other things going on in the world in the last few years too. Yeah, there has been a few other things going on in the world the last few years. Um, we'll, we'll get stuck into your current role a bit more as we go down, but let, let's get to find your backstory. So, Dan, where did, you know, where did you grow up? What was your first job? Tell us all about the younger Dan. Wow. Um, I So I grew up in Melbourne and in the in the northern suburbs of Melbourne in a, in a, a suburb uh, called Bandura, which when I grew up there was kind of the edge of Melbourne and it, and it kind of felt like the edge of the world because beyond that was kind of farms and, and that kind of thing. I, and, I, Dan, I grew up in Greensboro and I know exactly oh my, what you mean. It was like the country oh back then. Well, yeah. neighbours, Raul. We were. Popped in for a cuppa. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, and, oh, you know, I went, to, I went to a tech school. I went to a school called McLeod Tech because my parents thought, you know, um, you know, get him a trade and, and he'll be right. And um, probably the, the relevant factor out of all that was halfway through high school, um, through a, a pretty rare kind of genetic condition, I lost my sight. And so um, then obviously uh, going to a tech school, that sort of thing was changed and I ended up kind of be going down a more academic path and, uh, and, all, and all sorts of things happened to end up getting me here but uh yeah that's the that's the where I began bit mm. and I mean just on that uh lo- losing your sight was that like quite sudden or did it sort of um happen yeah, over yeah. a period um it was it was pretty sudden it kind of happened over the course of about six weeks and oh, wow. uh that 
uh, you know, it's it's an optic nerve condition, and you know, at first, um, you know, it was just becoming a little bit hard to read, and so you know, I went to the optometrist, and um, the optometrist sort of did all the tests, or actually, no, just, just a GP just did the eye test with me, and the GP said, oh, you know, uh, you're going to have to get glasses, and I was devastated. I, I was a 15 year old vain as anything kid who you know i thought getting glasses were the end of the world well of course you know getting glasses would have been just fine as it turned out and um then had to get all these different specialists to work out what it was and spent some time in hospital getting all these barrage of tests and everything and and uh here i am so that was that was a pretty full-on sort of time and you know there's a lot going on when you're 15 too so that was uh that was a in some ways a, a massive year that um took a lot for me to come to terms with just because uh, I think with a lot of big changes like that, I, I spent a long time in in denial, not really accepting it kind of thing. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I could only imagine it. that would, that would have the impact that would have on anyone. But, you know, as a 15-year-old, when you're, you know, no doubt you're playing sports and going out with your yeah, mates. No, in, in my mind, I was going to be the next great league footballer and, and, and all sorts of things, you know, so... It, it kind of was was all sorts of massive changes and, and you know, played basketball and everything. So, mm. uh, and and like now, I think this is part of my identity. I don't I don't see myself, you know, any other way. So that's that's um, you know that's what thirty years does and and a whole lot of different experiences. Yeah, yeah. So um, we'll, we'll talk about your different experience, but but maybe so. What, what was your first job? What was your first ever sort of paid job? Oh, so um, I I went to uni. Um, I, I, my first degree was in economics. I often say I'm, I'm a recovering economist, and so and I did economics because uh, it was a time when you know unemployment was high, and I thought, gee, I, I didn't really want to go into the workforce to be to be brutally honest, and no one did. There was you know unemployment was in the you know double percentages and in the early 90s or whatever. And so I studied economics and then, well, and, and that was completely wrong because then I was unemployed for a year in the early 90s. And then I got a job in Canberra as an economist. Um, and I was doing kind of economic research on, on all sorts of things to do with um, uh, resources and um, oh, coal, uranium, all manner of weird things. And then I got involved in other types of economics, which was which really got me interested in things like employment issues, public employment, economic issues, and things like that, where I was advising government and, and that kind of thing. But um, yeah, it was was wacky. I, I even once uh, I I did some research around uranium, and I ended up being quoted in the Economist, which is a big deal for any any person who calls themselves an economist, which I I definitely do not anymore. But um, yeah, so that was my first job. Uh, and um, certainly, you, you see the world in a certain way when you when you study economics, and um, that was that was kind of what I got into. And having, you know, uh, it was kind of wacky. I, I went to Melbourne University to study economics, and possibly to this day, I might be the only, the, still the only kid that went from McLeod Tech to Melbourne University. That that's not proven. Um, and, claim it, just claim it, Dan. Yeah, that's right. Okay, yeah, and because well, I, I do remember being at Melbourne University, and I believe it's not so much like this anymore. But I, I really, you know, 
didn't feel like I particularly fitted in. And um, every, it is true. Like in the first few weeks, every other kid asks you, what school did you go to? And they all went to private schools and everything. And um, I was, I, I should have made something up. I said I went to McLeod Tech and they didn't know where to go with that. But anyway, I, I got along fine. But uh, it, was, it, it, was a, it was a weird time going to University of Melbourne. Well, maybe if one of our listeners is uh, uh, from McLeod Tech and went to Melbourne Uni, they can uh, let us know. Yeah, correct me. Yeah, but, that's know, right. If, yeah. if, no one, if no one comes forward, I think you can uh, honestly hold that title. Okay. So, Dan, who, who would you say has been the biggest influence of you when you were growing up or your early career? Uh, I think... Um, I think, like, my parents were a massive influence. My... Um, I. I've spent many years working in different parts of the community and the community sector and everything, which I'll I'll come back to in a minute. And, you know, my mum had a, a real dedication to uh, community work and, and, and the community as a, as its own importance as, as supporting that. Um, my, my dad was, um, my dad was a, was a cop. He was a career cop and, uh, uh, he, I think one of the big things I got from both of them, you know, particularly my dad, was uh, uh, persistence and just, you know, and, and you know, and the fact that, you know, you can do this, son. just, just, just keep, you know, press on. We know you can do it. And, and that, so that, you know, that confidence and, and persistence and finding a way and, and finding a way around, like it, it's not always the obvious way to get, get something done or to, to deal with a problem. And uh, you know, neither of them even finished high school. And um, but uh, you know, when I when I was at high school and I lost my sight, they they sort of turned up at the school and said, "Okay, what are you going to do for our son? What do we need to do?" You know, and there's oh, you know all sorts of things that they had no idea about. But they were they were kind of trying to you know they they figured out a way, and it was really. Um, I look back with great admiration mm. about how they just got on with stuff. Um, yeah. They sound really practical. Do you, like, you didn't mention if you've got brothers or sisters, but did they treat you differently or it sounds like they might have just treated you exactly the same regardless uh, of you're not? Like, you know, I've, I've got a sister and oh, no doubt she would say, um, well, I got treated differently. And uh, that's, that's as much anything about, you know, being, being the younger child and, and being the boy or, or whatever, and, I was and say, all those. that's about being that's about being the younger boy, not a- exactly. Yeah, and I'll completely own that. I know that, um, and I don't think they treated me differently. But you know, when when you've kind of got a, a disability that comes on with with a child, as some of your listeners will know, it, it takes it takes a certain amount of, of energy of the whole family in a way, and so that's that becomes its own thing and a, a bit of sometimes a bit of a project of the family a bit um and, until that um you know the, the important thing i think for any family with a child with disability is to to help them find their way and to be part of community in the best way you can and so mm. that's 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 important work that they did yeah um one of the things you know i mean clearly uh your eyesight's been a, a challenge for you is is that like has that been some of the biggest challenges in your career and as you've changed career has it like a a challenge you have to sort of keep overcoming uh 
Yes and no. I think I don't. I, I don't actually think about it as one of my biggest challenges that I've had over my career. I think it, it's it's been an ever present sort of challenge, and there's all sorts of things that happen in the world to make it more of a challenge. And it, it goes to that fact of you know it's not it's not my eyesight, it's not my my sight impairment that's um, that's the challenge. It's the fact that there's all these things out there that are inaccessible that are that are the real challenge. And, you know, I think um, whether it be the online systems that are hard to use with adaptive technology or the fact that sometimes people insist on giving you a hard copy um, thing to read when they could give it to you in an alternative format that I can easily read, that's, that's the, they're, they're the big challenges along the way. And that I've learnt to always in, you know, almost every day, probably that thing about it, like every other person with disability, you, you know, you, you become a, you become a born problem solver. I, I think the, the challenges have been, uh, you know, the times when I've really sort of pushed myself to step up. I, I think I, I, after I left the sort of Commonwealth government, I, um, I got into a job where I <coughs> headed up, uh, a peak body for community organisations. Uh, some of your listeners will know ACOS, the Australian Council of Social Service, mm-hmm. and each state has a cause. And I, um, 29 years old, headed up the ACT Council of Social Service and suddenly had 15 staff, and and which is largely because I'd always had been involved in different community organisations as sort of a side hustle. So even while I was working in government, I was involved in and on the board of different, um, particularly disability organisations, and um, from there got involved in in ACTCOS, and uh, then got involved in, as a CEO, and suddenly being a, a leader, and all these people who clearly knew more than I did, and I thought I needed to know everything, mm. and so you know that that was. That was a big learning and, and pretty hard and pretty hard fought and lost a few times and, and figured it out. Um, and, but also becoming a public spokesperson on social issues where I suddenly realised that um, politicians aren't thick-skinned, they're quite thin-skinned. And so when you publicly criticise someone on a, on, a, on a social justice issue, uh, sometimes a politician will, will call you up and, and give you a piece of their mind and, and be really quite brutal about it and you know when you when you're a young kind of advocate who's kind of full of all the 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 great ideas of how you want to make the world better and everything and suddenly get brought down by a very experienced and articulate politician who you've uh, criticized publicly it uh brings you crashing back down to earth in a, in a pretty real way <laughs> Surprises me that politicians could be so brutal if yeah, you criticise them. Who, who would ever have thought? Hey, so that so that sounds like you had some pretty uh, responsible roles at quite a young age. Like, what would you, if you look back now, how do you think that came about? Because they do seem like very responsible roles, you know, for someone in their late twenties, early thirties. I think I was um, one. I was I was fortunate to be seen as someone articulate and, and interested in these issues and, and capable of, of talking on them. But also I, I had a passion for being involved in community organisations, particularly 
disability organisations, particularly organisations of people with disabilities advocating for ourselves. And I ended up on the board and involved in these organisations different ways and, and, uh, and as a chairperson. And I, that's kind of what I, I was attracted to. And, you know, I, I wasn't a, a passionate sort of government economist. I'll, I'll, I'll admit that now. And some people are, and that's awesome. But uh, my my passion was about people's sort of rights and entitlements, and so that I think helped me in that trajectory to getting involved as a leader of an organisation and 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 heading up ACOS. So yeah, that was that was a, an amazing kind of period, and I think it's so hard to know what the what the things are that kind of help you get to those places. So that's how I see it. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm sure you're, um, I think you nailed it, probably your passion and energy and being able to articulate that in a really good way. Probably uh, people saw that as a great strength. Um, you, you talked a bit before, and I guess, you know, when you have leadership thrown or leadership roles thrown on you at such an early age, you said before that you sort of felt like you needed to have all the answers. How how would you, you say that your leadership has changed over the, the decades? Uh, I think one of the key things is that, you know, I, I arrived in this role and I thought that I needed to, I need to run things and I needed to be in charge of everything and I need to know everything. And, you know, I, I think, um, I think learning to, to, lo- to not be in control or not, sort of have that command and control but a much sort of flatter style of organisation and leadership has been, I think, a constant lesson for me. You know, every now and again, I'll, if I'm not feeling comfortable or confident about something, I'll, I'll do the opposite and then try and try and find out everything and try and know it all and be that leader who, who, who knows everything and can, you know, be that commander. And once I can relax into it, and engage everyone else and expose my lack of knowledge and ask all the questions and engage the people around me. That's that's what I'm I think that's what I'm constantly getting better at is is drawing on the other people and exposing the fact of being able to say, gee, I don't know, what do you reckon? Mm. And that was I don't think I could say that when I was 29. Yeah. Um, and there are days I don't sure I even do that properly now so mm. that's a that's a important sort of skill i've developed i guess and and devolving sort of power and knowledge and ownership of um of decisions and and everything is has been a i think a continuous thing and i think um now i'm in a sort of government organization which is a bit more hierarchical and having come from many many years in different sort of community based organizations uh where it's much less hierarchical, and uh, you know, I, I was in the community legal centre before the community legal sector for about ten or so years before this, and uh, those organisations are, are very flat structured. And you know, community lawyers, if, if you're heading up a community legal organisation, uh, the rest of all the other lawyers in the organisation hold you accountable, and you know, they they demand to know what's what's going on in the organisation. Are you crazy not to share it? And draw on all the all the skills and knowledge in the room in the organisation. Yeah, I, I, I love. I just want to highlight a couple of things you said. Then I love the fact that 
I think it's such win-win when leaders say, I actually don't know, what do you think? Um, and that you, and literally as you ended that comment, it was like, because you'd be crazy to not, it's, it's almost part of your role as leader is to get input from everyone in the room, thinking that you have the answer. It's like, it's, it's almost, it's at, well, it's not almost, it is arrogant, um, but it's such a powerful question of like, I don't know, what do you think? Because the people you work with want to have a say and they want to have a voice. Um, and by thinking as a leader, you need to have all the answers. You're actually robbing them of that and uh, that opportunity to share their opinions. Yeah, bang on. I, I think um, we need to, certainly I need to remind myself of that regularly. It's pretty important. Yeah, yeah, we absolutely, we all need to remind ourselves of it, <laughs> whether we're in work or as parents or as whatever. Hey, when, you, when, you, when you're not at work, when you're not at work, what, what, what's the one thing you love doing? Oh, gee, I, I love people. I love, I love being around people. I love travel. I, I live music. I, I love, you know, although last two years has not been awesome for that, but uh, um, what what strongly comes to mind is just recently uh, we went to to WOMAD in Adelaide and being around all these people at a live music event in you know I'm in Melbourne and going going to Adelaide was oh, just incredibly exciting and it, it seemed just uh, incredibly natural and good to do to just be around festive music and and joy and, and and good people who who are all just there to have a good time it was um mm. so i love going to see live music and it's it's kind of exciting to be able to do that again yeah it's it's one of those things that you know we maybe potentially took it for granted a bit in the last couple oh, of days yeah, you sort of go back to those events and you just realize how good it is yeah 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 that's right and i, I can still remember um different sorts of live music i've been to in previous years and then um, you know, it's, it's, you know, I missed it in the last couple of years, but uh, particularly glad to be able to do it again now in, you know, I've got to, I think in the last couple of years, I probably would have just gone to see the local co- local school recorder band if, if they were playing, you know, any live music would have done. And so, you know, going to, going to WOMAD was extraordinary. And I've never been to WOMAD before either. So that was, uh, yeah. that was a joy. What, what's, um, what's been a silver lining for you coming well, during and coming out of COVID? Oh, I think one of the things is to realise that, you know, we're, we're all pretty um, amazing at doing things differently pretty quickly. And um, so there, there is that ability for people to change and, and change is usually pretty hard, right? And so... Uh, but we did change pretty quickly. I remember, you know, March 2020, suddenly having to do this. And and in that time, you know, then that following July is when our when this commission's powers started and we had to, there was a whole lot of things we had to do uh, to sort of get this off the ground and start regulating a sector and taking complaints and conducting investigations and everything. And um, we did it. And I feel like I have so much admiration for the, the people that I work with. And, um, but I, think, I also think, I guess the other thing is, you know, we learned a whole lot about ourselves. And, you know, being able to work from home is, is a wonderful thing and being able to kind of 
uh, spend time with with people and that with people in your own home, which which was wonderful for me. The, the other, I guess, the other silver lining is um, oh, possibly a bit of oversharing, but you know, it's just you and me here, Ralph. Um, yeah. I. I moved in with my partner in, at the beginning of lockdown and we'd, we'd only been seeing each other for, you know, a bit over a year. And uh, it's, you know, so far so good. Like I, I, I might be, I might be the guest, I might be the guest from hell who just would never leave, but we've, <laughs> I moved in with her and then we actually moved house together and everything. And it's, uh, it's been, you know, amazing. And so that's been my personal silver lining and, mm. and she's got, two kids she has uh, half the time as well which is also um you know that's that seems to have succeeded but you know you probably should ask them uh, <laughs> so um that's that's also been a, an amazing thing for me it kind of um made that happen yeah i think sometimes um the, the, you know the pandemic and the lockdowns at, at in some instances fast-tracked relationships because you were sort of forced to spend all this time with each other that you probably wouldn't normally yeah, fast tracked it maybe in, a, in either good or bad, you know. Yeah, exactly. Positive or negative directions. You know. So yeah. there's stories of both, and possibly we don't hear enough about the stories of their successes too, yeah. because it, you know, it, even in all that joy, there was there was a lot of hardness. I I actually much prefer to be in the same space as the people I'm working with to to talk through a problem and yeah. and to to feel the vibe of the people in the room and everything, and you know I. I realized that you know being on um, you know zoom meetings i've I've got no idea what's happening on on the screen and um, some you know I, I was in a meeting the other day and the chair who who knew I wouldn't be able to see it sort of said, oh damn what you just said there you're getting a lot of nods I thought oh, I, I missed that in the room you know when I was in a, a real room people would you know make a bit of a sound or you'd get a sense of you know how how your ideas are, are being received so it's I, I kind of miss being with the people I work with. Yeah. So, so one of the things I was going to ask you um, is, what were some of the unique challenges of you know uh, visually impaired people during COVID? Because one thing you've just said then that I wouldn't have thought of is, when you're on the screen the whole time and people are on mute, you can not only see you not only not see the nods, but you can't even hear the mm-hmm, yeah right as you would in a room. What what were some of the other unique challenges? I I think. Uh, the gee, the the isolation was was different, and you know, fortunately, I you know, I ended up not being isolated. But I until then, I was living on my own, and so I I sort of managed to dodge that. But I, I know people, um, well, with and without disability, who lived alone, who were you know, it was incredibly challenging. Um, I think, uh, you know finding ways to to exercise and get up away from the desk you know i always thought oh yeah i can just sit at my desk 10 or more hours a day and i'll be you know i'll just get a lot more work done and everything wrong <laughs> turns out you you're not that effective if you just sit there all day one zoom meeting after another um so like the, the certainly the the online meetings were were pretty hard going and i i found myself um Oh, I, I found myself, I, I worked out where on the device I'm using, where the camera is. And so I, I learned, okay, I've got to look at that spot. And I learned oh, relatively recently that um, 
No one else is doing that, of course. Everyone else is looking at the screen and no one else is looking down the barrel of the camera at all the other people like I put all this work into doing. So the, all the other people on the screen are actually looking at the screen. Apparently, most of you look at yourselves. So that's, you know, which I don't have to sort of worry about that. But um, there's, there's all these other sort of things that are going on. And um, I quite often actually dislike to... Uh, call someone on the phone and say, I'm just going to have a phone call and I'm going to just stand up and, 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 and talk to you if, or, or things like that, just so I don't have to think about where I should be looking and everything. And in some ways, that's the same with everybody because everybody was kind of stuck in place having to kind of be in front of a screen too. But uh, that was just a slight um, difference as I experienced it too. And, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan of like just saying, can we just have a phone call? Because it's yeah. just so much easier than the Zoom. Um, and, but I do want to say, Dan, that you looking at the camera is actually the correct thing to do. So you are probably doing it right. And um, every, everyone just looking at the screen means they're actually not making eye contact with the person they're looking at. And, and on that, I guess, because we, we first met a couple of years ago when you did um, my virtual training on storytelling and presenting. And so one of the things you, when you came to the program, you asked us were the manuals, could we change the manuals so they are accessible to um, visually impaired people, which no one had ever asked us before. And I had no idea how to do it, but at least got onto it and has done it. And so I wanted to say thank you because you highlighted the fact that we weren't making stuff accessible, but other people have since asked, do you have, and I go, yes, we do. So I guess what is, you know, and I, I probably, you don't want to roll up a whole list, but what is it we can do? Like if, if you could, if you could say, what's one thing we could do to make things more accessible for you? Um, because you said it's not like you don't see your blindness as a challenge. It's like the accessibility is a challenge. What would you say? What would you say to people? Just make our life easier by doing what? Probably the most basic thing is there's lots of different formats. And the, the three main formats are going to be PowerPoint things that, you know, you get sent out or PDF things. Uh, and they're quite hard to navigate. So I use a screen reader, which basically is a, 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 a program that has whatever comes up on the screen, the, vo the computer voice will read it out to me. But, you know, you've got to navigate around it a bit and things like that. And PowerPoint and PDF are often hard to navigate. But if it's in Word, it's much easier to navigate and sort of go back. And particularly when you're doing any kind of training or, or really a whole lot of documents that you end up having to look at, you you're not just kind of reading it from beginning to end. You're, you're wanting to sort of go back and think about something or stop or things like that. The other thing probably particularly with um, presentations is, you know, people will use uh, images or charts or various things like that. And I'll often say to people I work with, um, if, you, if you want to use an image or, or a chart or, or, you know, flow chart or anything, that's great. That's fine. But... Um, we need some words somewhere that convey the same meaning. And you don't need to be saying this image is of, you know, A, B and C, but just what, what's the meaning you're trying to convey? And that's very powerful. And I often say, you know, I know you sighted people have all these needs. You need things to look at. I get it. You're, you're very sight dependent. I'm, I'm, I'm willing to accommodate all your needs, but can you just explain what you're trying to, what you're trying to convey with this, with this image, that where you're meeting all the all the sighted people's needs by just saying it in some words. 
Yeah, that's some really good insights. Thanks, Dan, for that. Hey, um, have loved speaking to you. I'm going to end on three quick questions that I ask all of my guests on the podcast. So here we go. What is the one meal you love cooking? I love, I think I love making risotto most um, of of various kinds Um, and Oh, you know, that's uh, in some ways that the stirring of the risotto and waiting it for it to just the rice get get just perfect is is somehow a bit sort of cathartic, particularly if you if you've got the time to enjoy it and maybe have a glass of wine in your hand at the same time and everything. That's the that's the that's the joy. Yeah, I think it's an absolute absolute rule of a glass of wine in your hand, especially risotto. There's a lot of standing by the stove stirring. Okay, what is your favourite eighties song or artist? Uh, I, I grew up loving In Excess and went to see In Excess many, many times. And, you know, I, I had a bit of a, uh, you know, bit of a guy crush on Michael Hutchins, you know, most amazing artist and everything. And so I loved, I loved all, all their music and uh, just all, all the different albums and, and things I went through over, those, over that decade. Mm. In Excess Kick was my first CD I ever brought. Like I've, I'd had a few albums, but the, the CD one was the first one I got. Final question, final question. If you could give one piece of advice to your 20-year-old self, what would that be? It's going to be okay. Just yeah. you know, stop trying to pretend to be something that you think everyone wants you to be and, you know, just just relax and be yourself. It's it's going to be okay. Oh, that's some beautiful advice to give young 20-year-old Dan. It's going to be more than okay, I would suggest. Dan, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure to um, work with you over the last couple of years and get to know you over this podcast. Your insights into leadership have been, um, re- well, insightful as insights should be. So thanks for joining us, Dan. Absolute pleasure, Ralph. Good to talk to you. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Authentic Leadership Podcast. We welcome your suggestions for leaders you would like to hear from in future episodes.